Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Does money consume a lot of your attention? Do you wish you could make money from doing what you love? And are you ignoring your calling in life because you're so focused on being responsible? Paul Ollinger busted his ass, cashed out of Facebook, and then became a stand-up comic. Today, we're gonna talk about money being a major motivator, how the pursuit of a stress-free life can burn us out, and why committing to success often makes us weak. How are you? I'm well, man. You got a camera? Good. I get to see I you? Do. Or is this... Let's, we, let's, you, let's you... go full frontal camera. Let's do, <laughs> let's do the That's real kind of thing. Com- it's kind of a commitment. Um, hang on one second. Do you use the video or I you don't. just use this? I don't use the video. It's just audio. I just find it easier. Sure you don't. Sure you don't. I'm I, mean, never, I use I'm it never... for private. <laughs> just private stuff. It's my private collection. <laughs> Okay, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Okay, so we're good to go. I'm good. How are you doing, man? I'm good. You're in North Carolina. I am. I'm in uh, Wrightsville Beach. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm in Atlanta. Yeah, very good. How is yeah. Atlanta? I used to live in Tallahassee for a long time, so I used to go up to Atlanta quite a bit. But yeah, Atlanta's uh, it's starting to get get a little warm, but uh, you know, all's good. Life's good. Like plus ninety for eight months out of the year, and then down below thirty. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We don't get that uh, that nice breeze off the ocean that you guys have there. Cool. I wanted to talk about money. I want to talk about, you know, your transition to doing the things that you love. That's a, that's a lot of the stuff that I work with with guys that, that have yep. gone, they've done really well for themselves, but they've, they're kind of transitioning into, okay, what the hell do I want to do with my life now? <laughs> so there's yeah, a, exactly. those are a lot of guys that I talk to. And then there's a lot of guys that are listening that are, that are like, well, one day, one day I hope to get there. Uh, where I can, right. I can enjoy my life. So I want to kind of pick through some of that and get your ideas on that kind of stuff. And don't wait till you get there to enjoy your life is yeah. the answer to that one. Exactly. Um, okay, cool. Well, let's just jump in. I, did you, and then when it comes to money, I mean, did you have money growing up? Did you come from a well-to-do family? What was, what was your background there? I came from a very stable family that, uh, we, we never missed a meal, but things, things felt tight. 
Uh, I'm one of six kids. My dad had a job with the the power company, Georgia Power. And um, my dad is just a very frugal guy, and we never had things that we didn't need. It's interesting. I interviewed him for an episode of the podcast. He's now 92 years old. And I wanted to talk to him and get in his head what it was what was it like to raise six kids on a relatively modest salary and and to deal with all that stress. And he was like, stress? I was never stressed. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. It was like I felt like you were always stressed about money. And maybe that's either me interpreting my youth in a way that I that wasn't actually the case or him sort of rationalizing <laughs> what it was like for him as a dad. But um but yeah, money, money was, I, I wanted to, I was motivated to make a lot of money when I was a kid because I didn't want to stress about money. Like I felt my parents did. And, um, according to my dad, it never happened. So maybe I was motivated by the completely uh, wrong things. It seems to be the motivator, right? Even, even the guys that I, I talked to or the guys that I coached that come from money, there's still this thing like, well, I got, I got to make my own money, right? Mm-hmm. They have to prove something there. And then there's, there's guys that didn't grow up with it. Like to hell with this. I never want to feel like I can't get the guac on the, on the burrito. Like I want to be funny. I don't ever want to have to say no or think or hem and haw about that stuff. I just want to have that flexibility and be able to, to do that thing and, and uh, not stress out that, that stress of worrying about money. And so, I mean, all of us to a degree stress out about it, but how you, you said it really motivated you. What do you like? Give us a, give us a window into that world when you were young and you're like, tell this, I'm going to make a lot of money. Was that the, like the end game? I'm going to make a bunch of money. Well, I think I just wanted – there's so many interesting things about money that that everybody defines rich as basically twice what you have. If you make 100 grand a year, you think the guy making 200 has it made. And when I was a kid, I wanted that thing that was just beyond what we had but was but was reachable. Like I wanted a – I wanted to drive a Buickless Sabre, you know, instead of like a Toyota. <laughs> You know, like I was like, that's rich, man. I want to view it. I wanted to, you know, I wanted a house in the next nicest suburb. Like that was making it. And and so I, I wanted to have enough money to afford name brand Advil instead of Walprofen, you know, like that was my, that was my guac on the burrito. So like we all have these weird, weird things about money where we don't even know how lame our dreams are until you get to the next level and your dream just moves that much further out there. And I think I wanted enough money to just avoid stress. And the crazy thing about that is, as as anybody who's made any money knows, you know, it's not how much money you make. It's 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 the balance between how much money you make and how much you feel you need that that drives the stress in your in your financial life. Like you can make a million bucks a year and still be stressed over cash because your appetites have grown so much. You're just consuming way too much. So I'm trying to be very aware of you know, how much we have versus how much we want. And I think that's a, that's a, that's an awareness. I think a lot of people should try to get in touch with before they start thinking about, I want to make this much money. Oh yeah. Well, why, right. what is that? What is that going to provide for you and for your family? I think we just automatically assume that there's an exoneration, right? Oh, if I get to that level, I won't have to deal with the bullshit of whatever I'm dealing with now. There's, there's this place where I get to go beyond the velvet rope and it's easy street. And then we get there and it's like, wait a second, this isn't easy street, but that, that next level is easy street. Yeah. I just got to get to that next level, baby. And then we're good. And then, right. shit, okay, well, I must not be there yet. Cause I still got to <laughs> deal with this thing. And I got the gray yeah. hairs growing on my dick now. And I was like, okay, I got to, the next level <laughs> is where it's at. And, uh, but it just never, 
it never really happens, that exoneration. So what you're saying is like, we got to look at our thinking and say, if I'm really just trying to escape life, we're always going to be trying to outrun something. Does that fit? What you, is that what you're trying to say? Well, I th- we're, we're coded to want more. We're always coded to want more. And the more you have, the more you start hanging out with people who have more. And then you go, oh, wait, you know, this, this Audi's cool, but I think I want that Porsche. And you get that Porsche and you, you start hanging out with dudes who have their own planes and you're like, oh, a plane would be really, really nice. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just, I think you've got to, you've got to be really disciplined about saying, yeah, a plane is nice, but it doesn't fit into what it is that I'm trying to accomplish with my life. I'm trying, you know, like I had a great run at Facebook. I made, I made a, a great uh, sum of money and, you know, it was more than I ever dreamed of. And those boundaries, your, your horizon just keeps moving forward. That's what horizons do. And so it's when I quit to do stand up comedy, I had to say, okay, I'm making a conscious choice to put the money on hold indefinitely because the priorities that I have in my life right now are about creative exploration. Oh, and by the way, my wife had to be on board with that as well, because it's not just what I want. It's what we both want together for our family. That's going to determine our, our expenses and our, and, and, and our financial needs going forward. There's a lot of awareness in that, right? Which is, wait a second. I enjoy the creative process. I enjoy stand up. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's not just, I think we can just get so myopic in our culture where it's just money. Like that's what I do with my life. I don't have any other meaning. I don't have any other thing. It's just this, I'm going to go, somebody threw the Frisbee and I'm going to go get it. And it's just money, (laughs) money, money. And without that awareness, like, wait a second, what do I actually enjoy? What, what, what brings my life some sense of enjoyment and meaning? And it sounds like for you, you were really clued into that. But I think a lot of guys fall into the trap and say, wait a second, I have to make money from my passion. I can't, it's, they don't, they don't give themselves permission to pursue things unless it's going to pay the bills. And I I run into that a lot with guys where it's just like, yeah, that's just not in the, in the, in the, in the cards for me. It's either, or either I go make a bunch of money or I go do my passion and I, and I live in the, in my car somewhere. Did did you ever have that sense as you were going through that, that it was an either or scenario that you do what you love or you go make money? Those questions are really worth asking. And there's also part of our culture that says, "Hey man, you got to chase your dream, you got to live your your purpose and all that kind of stuff." And and I hey, your number one purpose should be to take care of your yourself and your family. And and your passion definitely comes second. That doesn't mean you can't do that and still live your values, but um I, not everybody needs to go and chase their dream at the expense of everything else in their life. I think that you know, there's a lot of people. I see guitars hanging, you know, on, on the back of your on, on back of your wall. I don't. I wouldn't suggest. Hey, you know, Trip, you got to go all in on the music at the expense of every other thing in your life that you enjoy doing, or just ignore it completely. You should find you should find place in your life uh, for the music and for your passions after you've figured out how you're going to make a good living and 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 also find joy in what you do to make a living. Right. You know, the research really shows that you, you, you derive passion from what you're good at, not just what you think is, is super cool. Um, and if you think you're going to make money at your passion right away in 99.9% of cases, you're sorely mistaken. Even if your passion is business, you know, your the statistics for new businesses are brutal. Um, entrepreneurship is a long road, just like the arts are. And if you're, if you want to be great at something, you got to dedicate 10 years to trying to figure out how to do it well before you can even really think, gee, am I good enough to, to even, 
earn a living doing it, to deserve to earn a living doing it, right. to deserve to have people pay to come and experience you performing whatever that is, whether it's cooking or writing or comedy, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think a lot of us want to find that shortcut. We don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't want to go through the uncertainty. We don't have to put our, you know, look like a moron, you know, being a noob. And so we're looking for that, <laughs> that shortcut of like, how do I get to the good stuff and not have to put any work into it? And whether that's, like you said, whether it's in the arts or it's in business or whatever, we're just, there's a lot of the hack. It's like that, that hack mentality instead of, all right, you, you got to go through the suck for a while and, and figure this out. But that's I think right. that's where most of us get so fixated on these outcomes a bunch of money, living in that neighborhood, the car, the, the plane. And we don't look at like, what's the process that I enjoy doing every day? Do I, do I enjoy waking up and doing this thing every day? And it's cool. Right. Yes. I want to make the money too. It's not it, at a certain point. It's not that enjoyable if it's not supporting you. Like you said, if it's not supporting you and your family and, and it, it, it's going to be a drain there. But most of us, we get fixated on those outcomes instead of that process. That, that's key. How long did you do your podcast before you felt like people noticed? Oh man, I don't know. You know, we were, we were in the wild west of the, of the podcasting days, you know, so it was 12 years ago. I, I don't know. I don't even know if people still, I don't, I don't know. I don't even think about that stuff. I've just <laughs> kind of put my head down and, and, and do it. You know, I think there was one time somebody sent, sent a, an image of, we were beating Oprah in some ranking system on there. And I was yeah. like, all right, yeah. let's go. That's let's go cool. Oprah. Let's fuck. I'll there take you, you on. <laughs> But if, but if you started it thinking, okay, this has to work and it has to work right from the get go, you wouldn't have made it past episode three. No, you, you know, no. And I'd done enough. Like I'd been a musician. I'd been, I'd done enough stuff where I've, I'd made worked on records for a year and then get them pressed. And then they sit in my garage. Like I've, I've had enough of those <laughs> failures of like, you know, I've had, I've chopped a lot of trees down in the forest and nobody heard them. Right. So I think that's, a, that's a, there's a maturing there's a maturation process there of like learning the creative process. Like I got to enjoy what I'm doing here. Cause I have no, I, I don't get to control the outcome. I don't get to control whether people like it or not. So it, it is I, all about, it is all about process. And I think the big mistake that people make when they say, Hey, I want to chase my dream is they're thinking about the cherry on top of, of, of the Sunday and that sun, or they're thinking about the view from the top of the mountain and they're not thinking about the climb up there because, because what you're committing to when you quit your job is the climb it's not the view. You know, you're lucky if you get the view. The climb is what your days are, you know, Monday through Friday or, or Sunday through Saturday, depending upon how much of your life you're going to commit to it. And if it's, if it's you know, you want to go and become a, a famous musician, well, you got to learn how to play that guitar. You know, you want to, it's, it's the time on the range if you want to be a golfer. And that's 40 hours a week for 10 years. If you want to be a, if you want to be a, a triathlete, you know, that's, that's a hundred thousand pushups and 10,000 miles and bloody nipples and chafed taint for years before you're even competing with the people that you aspire to compete with. Bloody nipples um, and chafed taint. I want to just, I just, I just kind of felt something come up when it, when you brought that in. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I, I already own that website. So don't, <laughs> don't go to rate, rate my bloody nipples and chafed taint. But that's it. Like, and, and that's a, what you're describing is a death march for some and it's inspiring for others. Right. I think that's where we, when we, if we have this image in our head of like who we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to become, then we might put ourselves on that death march in order to create that. Or it might be like, Hey, I, I actually enjoy this process. It looks kind of nutty to other people, but this is what I enjoy doing. But, um, I, that's what I want to help people come back to is that internal authority system instead of what mm -hmm. should I be doing that external thing? Like, this is how you should live and this is how you should do it and have the guts to really live from that place of like, can I really do what I enjoy 
doing and give myself permission to do that? You can. It, you, another mistake that I think I made before I quit my job was not looking at the value that I was getting from the work I was doing in the corporate world. I wasn't giving myself permission to, to realize that I was doing a pretty good job there and that, that I was getting a lot of income that didn't show up on my paycheck. And that came in the form of camaraderie and, um, you, you know, working through challenges and growth in a cool industry uh, in about as cool a company as anybody ever worked at, at, a, at as cool a time in that company that anybody ever worked at. I think, I think I, I let a lot of stuff get to me, the stress, the long hours, travel, et cetera, that prevented me from seeing a lot of the good stuff I was getting from work and made me think that it was an all in one way or the other kind of situation. I, and, and that's sort of something I had to learn by that. I learned by quitting my job is that, Oh, I had it pretty good. And it's not to say I would make the the decision differently. It's just, I think I would have done it with a little bit more purpose and gratitude in the way that I conducted myself there. And as I left the company. So describe the scenario you're, you're in Facebook and you, I mean, you, you had to have known, okay, I can cash out at any time and I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Was it that you were struggling to just find motivation to stay in it? Or did you feel called to the next thing? Or what was it more like to hell with this? I just want to get out of here. What was, what so was going on? Some of all of the above. So I had done, I, I came out of business school in 97 and went into the internet business. And I, I knew I wanted to be a comedian when I went to business school after I told jokes at a talent show, very first semester in business school. And that is not the thing you want to learn when you borrow a hundred thousand dollars to pay your tuition. <laughs> It's not, that's not the job you're hoping, you're hoping you're going to find out that you're, that you're a genius at investment banking or something like that. You don't want to find out, oh, Hey, I'm the funniest guy in my class. Oh, great. That's got the lowest expected. And so anyway, I came I went, out of I went to MBA school to figure out that I was a comic. That's a, that's a, that one stings. Okay. It's a tragedy. So I came out and I worked in the internet business and I eventually paid off my student loans and I worked at uh, Yahoo and a company called launch.com, which is a music website. And, um, so I paid off my student loans and I, and I had been saying if I ever paid off my loans, I'd go do comedy full time, which I did for two years. And then I got engaged and I decided that I needed to go back to work because I didn't want to be a deadbeat comic and, you know, be a deadbeat husband, uh, living off my wife's income. So I took a job at this little company called Facebook and it was 250 people at the time. And I was selling ads on the West coast, um, in LA and it was growing so fast every month we'd catch up. We'd, you know, we'd, we'd get, we'd get that much closer to Facebook or Yahoo and total audience. And it was an exciting place to, to work. I worked there for four and a half years. I eventually ran the West coast sales team. And in this time, the company went from like 25 million users to over a billion. I mean, the growth wow. was me meteoric. And, um, it was either meteoric or Herculean. I can't remember which one, which, yeah. which would be more accurate. Okay. Probably meteoric. It was a really exciting place to work. It was super stressful. You know, 250 people were doing the work of a thousand. And, you know, I think after four, and, and, and when you're working at a small company, one of the reasons you get compensated so well is because you're taking a risk and you're you're betting on that something is going to grow and one of the things the company doesn't have at that time is is systems they don't have you know they don't have expense report systems that they've got today you know you're doing your expense report on an excel spreadsheet and it takes five times longer than it would today so you're just working it at in a, in a more uh unrefined system than than you are when you're working at a later stage company 
working at Facebook was super stressful. After about four and a half years, my mom was sick. My wife was on bed rest with our second kid. They asked me to move and I was basically like, you know what? I think I'm done here. Like I'm not mm. ready to commit to three more years. And I, and I bailed and I didn't think it through. Um, I didn't go right back to comedy. I took, I kind of goofed off for a couple of years and, um, it wasn't until I really locked eyes with what I felt I wanted to do with my life. The reason I didn't go back to comedy is because I was scared. I'd kind of already failed one time at it and I didn't have the balls to say, this is really what I want to do. And it was only after kind of trying and failing a few other things that I was like, you've known your whole, well, the whole, the last 15 or 20 years that this is what you want to do. You either go and do it all in or just let it go. Just forget about it completely. And I couldn't let it go. And that's how I got back into comedy five years ago. It's interesting, right? Like the, that thing that we, that knowing we have can be so confronting. It's also the place where we're scared to go sometimes. It's not like, oh, that's the easy thing. And I'm being a hedonist because it's, I'm only doing what feels good. It actually is this like, oh, if I go there, I, I'm vulnerable there, right? Especially with comedy, right? You just like going up there to tell jokes and you, you know, people call I died or I killed, right? It's such a violent <laughs> place, right? It is. But, it is but that. so, so you come out of there, you said you goofed around for two years. So that sounds like a miserable two years though, of being rudderless. And I'm imagining what was, what was that like to be like, what, who am I now? What's my life like now? Yeah. Well, it was, it wasn't terrible in the sense that, I mean, you know, let's, let's be honest. I, yeah. I did leave Facebook. I had plenty of money, uh, which was, which was kind of a mind fuck of its own. You know, like you think that once you make a certain amount of money, the life is just going to lay itself out for you and that your direction will become clear. And that's not what happened. But I mean, when things were confusing, yes, but I also had young kids at a nice house. I was, you know, working out, losing weight, traveling, like, you know, living a, what you do right out of, when you quit your job, you're like, I'm going to get back in shape. I'm going to reconnect with friends. And okay. I did all that stuff that was good, but it was like at a certain point you go, okay, so what now? Right. Who am I now? What do right. I stand for and where am I headed? And so it was rudderless in that, in that way. But I think it kind of took me that much time to say, to, to really find, to, to, to realize that that comedy thing is really what was, was bugging me and eating at me. And as an old friend of mine, uh, Al Bott, who is my, my, uh, friend and, and former coach said, look, comedy is a phone ringing for you. You can either pick it up and, and you're not in control on what's on the other side of that call, but you can either pick it up or just ignore it ringing. And I decided eventually to, 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 I finally decided to pick it up and, you know, like you said before about process, I'm not in control of what's on the other side of that phone. I'm not in control of outcomes. I'm in control of putting in as productive days as I can put in to try to make myself better at comedy. I'm in control of that process. And I think once I, once I committed to that process, things really started to kind of feel right. Can even you, though I don't, even though I don't know where it's going, yeah. I, I, I'm committed to giving it my best. Why for you, why were you resisting that call? What what was what was the what was the the excuses you were telling yourself of like, nah, not comedy? Fear. Uncertainty. Of what, of what though? Like what fear, fear well, fear of failure, fear of making no money, fear fear of being thought a fool. I've wasted a lot of time in my life worrying about what other people think and um that's just probably the most unproductive energy I've ever spent. Um, but, but fear of not being successful at it. And 
and also the very real opportunity cost. You know, I'm right now I'm, you know, I'm still losing money at comedy five years in because if you want to travel, you know, even if you're working on the weekends, you know, maybe you make three or 400 bucks for the weekend at a club out of town where you're still going to spend five to 800 or a thousand traveling. So you're still losing money. And, and, and I'm, the only thing I'm certain about right now, other than the fact that I'm committed to doing it, as I, I, I'm, it's clear I'm losing money. It doesn't. It's it's not clear what the future outcome will be. That it could be something uh, very very profitable, and I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think it had that potential. But um, I try not to focus on the the only thing that I know because because it's negative and it's you have to you have to focus not just on what you absolutely know, but on what could be. And it was the fear of all those things that, that kept me from doing it. And I still, I still struggle with fear. It's just that I'm, I'm more familiar with it. And I'm, I really am trying to, I, I, I believe you've had Ryan holiday on the, uh, on the program here. And, you know, I'm, I'm a daily stoic guy. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading all the, uh, a whole bunch of stoic literature to focus, to, to, to release attachment to outcomes and just focus on those things that, that we're in control of, um, and so, yeah, so fear's, fear's a big, big obstacle, but it's, it's something that can be overcome. And, um, the things that I'm, the things I was afraid of four or five years ago around comedy, I'm, I'm a whole lot less afraid of now being told no almost feels good. It's almost like, you know, all these, all these, uh, I, I put, I put it out there, you know, I, I like, for example, I was looking for an, uh, an agent for a book that I'm shopping and I sent out, I don't know, 60 emails, and I'd get, you know, 59 no's or ignored, you know, or, or ignores. And it's almost like you look forward to being told no a little bit. It's sort of like, oh, I can't wait to see what this one has to say about it. Um, you're just appreciative that when they respond at all. Yeah. And, and the, the more you're told no, the more it kind of, I don't know, at a certain point, it goes from being depressing to becoming a motivator to being like, come on, what else can you give me? Right. Uh, There's a lot in there I want to I want to pick out because I think that's the the part of us that, you know, if we look earlier, what we were talking about, which is like, it's just so easy to let making money be the prime directive in our life. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is like, when you start to take money off the table a bit and relax that, then there's this bigger existential question of, well, who am I really? Like, what am I really here to do? And that's a really confronting question because it's like, shit, I'm really vulnerable now. If, if I were to say, I'm really here to be a comedian or I'm really here to be a whatever little league coach, or I'm here to be a, a knitting or whatever that thing is. There's that place where we we're now can be really judged on a painful level. It's one thing. It's like, Hey, I'm just doing what everybody else is doing and I'm making a living in, in a corporate environment or whatever. But that, yeah. I think there's that part of like, this is who I am really that, that really challenges us that, that scares us. And I love how you said you crossed this threshold into the thing you were trying to avoid started to become energizing for you. It's not like you welcome it. It's not like, yeah, I hope I get a no today, but it's just like, wow, I, I'm, I'm still here. I, I still have energy and vitality here. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still in the game. I'm still playing it. I find that relaxing. I, I don't know. I find that invigorating too. When I get no's for things that I'm doing, it's just like, oh yeah, I'm in rarefied air. There's not a lot of people that do what I do. And this, this is the kind of cool challenge you get to have at, at this level because you're not dicking around groveling on the ground for every, all the other scraps that people are picking up. Does that, that make sense? Like, I, I like those challenges. I like that I'm getting no's to those challenges versus some of the other things. I, I think a no is more like, okay, they don't, 
they're not on board with what I'm talking about. And when you find people that, that do get you, it's so energizing to, to find fellow travelers, to find your tribe and to say, oh yeah, okay, we're talking about the same stuff. This person is hearing me. And I, I think less about this person saying no as being, they think I'm dumb or crazy or a dilettante. They're just not on the same wavelength as I am. And that's okay. And we want to polarize quickly. You want to, you don't want to get into six months, eight months or a year with that person and go, wow, they really don't get it. You want to, you want to get that (laughs) quickly. Yeah, Uh, you do. Okay. All right. And and so as you're wading into this next phase of your life and you're, you're stepping into comedy, it's not really just about the money. sounds like you still got an eye on it, right? About where this is going, but is, tell me about the process now I mean, is money still a big driver for you or, or have you learned how to put it in its place? What, what's, what's, what's it look like for you now in your life? Well, I want to, don't let me not address the money question, but you, you said before about, you know, what I am as a comedian. I think, I think the way I think about it is coming back to say, who are you? What are your values is the place to start. And, and being a comedian is an expression of my values. And one of my values is to tell the truth. And in comedy, you have the opportunity to speak the truth in a way that you can't in many other formats, certainly not in the corporate world. Um, now, there's ways to express your values as a corporate person also. They're just different than the way you can do that as a comedian or as a writer or as a podcaster. And so I don't think of you know my identity as a comedian. I think that's one of the ways that I express my values. Um and, and the way I think about money is another one of those values is to say, okay, what do I want from money? Well, I, uh, I interviewed a guy named Brian Portnoy a couple of weeks ago, and he wrote a book called The Algebra of Wealth. Sorry, The Geometry of Wealth. Scott Galloway just wrote a book called The Algebra of Happiness. He's a guy at NYU, so I was getting those two confused. But he defined – Brian Portnoy defined wealth as funded contentment. And I thought that was a really interesting way to to come at it, to say, I know what it takes for me to be content in my life. And that's a certain standard of living that provides me the opportunity to, you know, fill in the blank for you, live in a certain kind of home environment, to feed my kids, to, uh, you know, pay for their, their education and maybe take a certain number of trips every year. And and that is what it means to me to, to be content beyond that, you know, money's a luxury below that it's pain. So how do I fund that amount of contentment that I need in my life to live the kind of life that I want to live and to provide for my family the way I want to, uh, provide. So those aren't my thoughts, but I thought that was, I mean, I'm, I'm collecting wisdom along the way. And that was, I thought a pretty elegant way to, to present the way to think about money. And I think that's sort of the way I'm coming at it. Fortunately, you know, I did have, I, I kind of won the lottery at Facebook and not, you know, not a hundred million bucks, but I've got a pretty tasty nest egg that I could blow through if I was an asshole, by the way. And if, if my wife and I weren't on the same page, or if we, if we decided to live way above our means, it's certainly expendable. So what I want for money, you know, today isn't necessarily to get more of it to be, but to be able to live this life that I want to live, um, and do the things that I want to do creatively the hope to make money in the future from a creative process isn't so much for the money itself, but as an indication that the way I'm living my life, the creative work that I'm doing is creating value for other people. 
And when you, st- I think when you start to see that come in, you say, okay, people are digging what I'm, you know, what I'm putting out there and it's creating value to the extent that I'm building an audience, I'm building a following. People are looking forward to my take on the world and they're willing to, to throw 20 bucks at it for an evening out. Uh, they're willing to share my podcast with their friends and that's that done at scale builds a, a monetizable audience. Yeah. That I love that. I love that. Uh, the contentment piece, cause it doesn't seem like, um, I've never worked in the corporate environment, but do they, do they, it doesn't seem like a place where they would encourage contentment because they need you to go up the ladder. Right. So it's like, you can't be happy here. You got to strive for this next level. Was, was contentment a, a, a bad word in some of the circles you were running in or, cause I can hear it like contentment's like a weakness, like, oh, you can't be satisfied. You got to always be striving and always be pushing. Contentment's the enemy kind of thing. Um, yeah. What, 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 talk about contentment there from, from your perspective in the past. Well, I don't think I put a lot of thought into it in the past. And, you know, when I came out of business school 20 years ago, my thought was I'm going to work my ass off until I make money. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, I kind of was like, burn it at both ends until you get what you want. And I never, I, I, I never thought of work as a 40 or 50 year, you know, uh, marathon. Um, now maybe I, maybe, maybe that's why I, I burned myself out a little bit. But, um, I do think that corporations are putting a lot of effort, more effort into helping people become content or happy at work because they have to, you know, and I want to say that Facebook was one of the most progressive in all, in all the positive ways, progressive work environments that it, that is trying to give people the power, their employees, the power to be people, happy people while contributing to the growth of that company. Now there's, there's a certain amount of work that goes into being a senior level person in almost any company today that is, that, that pushes the boundaries of balance in a way that I don't think has been done before. But, you know, I, I, I look at my friends who are still in the, in the, in the media world and they're flying all over the world every month. I don't, I don't see how they have time to be, you know, to be present at home in a way that I want to be. Um, so, so I, I do think it's a challenge and I, I, I don't think certainly not at Facebook, they wouldn't, they wouldn't say that contentment is a bad thing. They, they, they always want you to push the boundaries professionally, but, I, but there's, they have a great stake in making sure that, that people have a, um, can find a way to make working in their company work for them as human beings as well. Okay. Because I've talked to some folks that are, um, in, especially in tech industries where there's this thing where the, the commitment is to success, but it's not to feeling strong. So when I ask them, say, what are your, what are your commitments? And we look at their actions on a day-to-day basis. They're not getting, they're not even the basics. Like they, they eat like shit. They don't get enough sleep. They don't spend the time with family. Their commitment is to quote success, right? They, they're addicted mm. to that. I got to get up the ladder thing, but we look at their life and they're, they're making themselves weak. And that's really mm-hmm. challenging for them when we look at it through that lens. It's like, yeah, you're choose. look at how you're choosing to be weak so you can be successful. And that's mm-hmm. a, that's a wild thing. So I take the word contentment out of there. Cause it's that part of like, and they kind of snarl their lip at like content. I got mm-hmm. something to prove. But that, um, so it was interesting to like try to get your perspective on that because they see where they're making themselves weak. They cut themselves off from other people in their lives, and all like you said, the people jet setting everywhere, and it just they they don't they don't give themselves that that firm foundation to enjoy what they actually have. Mm-hmm. I think that comes back to knowing yourself and knowing the things that are going to make you a more 
balanced and happy person. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, some guys don't want balance. They want the next, they want the next rung. I, there were certainly times in my career where I was like, I want that promotion. Why? I don't know. Cause I deserve it. Cause I think I, because I think it should be mine because right. it, because it gives me some status, maybe some more money. You know, I, 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 I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to what that would end up doing for me. I just wanted to get to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what we're supposed to do is, as you know, guys like, kind of like sharks, you know, you just keep swimming. Yeah. Keep going. I'm curious for you it being in a background in the corporate environment, you were, you were a comedian, you go into the corporate world and, and where did, what happened to your humor, your sense of humor? Were you able to, did you have to like <laughs> put it in a box and stuff it in the closet somewhere? Or like, how did, how did that work? Cause for me, I've got to be able to play, right? I've got to be able to see yeah. the light side of, of, and make fun of everything because if I take shit too seriously, man, I'm, I'm a goner. So what was it like for you in that environment? Did you, did you, were you able to spread your comedy wing, your, your humor, your playfulness? Yeah, I tried. I mean, I think, I think, you know, there's a weird thing happening in the corporate world today where the, and I'm talking about the entire corporate world that, that on one level, they want you to bring your best self and your whole self to work. On the other <laughs> Just hand, not the shit that's going to scare us, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's ex- on the other hand, you better not say the wrong thing or you're going to end up, you're going to end up down in HR, you know? And so I don't know, man. It's kind of a conundrum. Um, you know, I did some, I, I, I tried to bring fun stuff to work. I was, I'm kind of, I was kind of an intense person in the office and I could have, uh, I think there were some of my buddies after I left told me that there were the two Pauls that would show up either like happy Paul or, or intense Paul who was worried about, you know, quarterly numbers, you know, but I'd sometimes I'd, I'd like like one time I gave my uh, team their, their, their quarterly quotas on, uh, airline barf bags, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'd incorporate humor where I could in presentations and stuff. But I, I you know, I think it, I, I, were I to go back in time, I would try to bring more of a lighthearted team building thing to the table more than I would just laughs. Although I, you know, I, I always did my best to try to keep it funny, if not fun. I think that's a, there's an artful way to bring play into whatever we do. It's, it's, um, I think play gets a, at least playfulness gets kind of a bad rap when it comes to our work. Like it's like, Oh, I can be playful over here and I can be playful over there. But when it comes to work, I got to be really serious. But I think, I think if we can bring a playfulness to things, we, we loosen up and we get more creative. And I think, totally. I think we're way totally. better, but it's, and I, I can tell when my life's, I've just completely lost playfulness. I'm just miserable. It's like, Oh, I haven't laughed at anything in a while. I haven't looked at this from an angle of to see where I can make fun of whatever it is I'm doing, even though it's still really important. How do I make fun of it? Like the, when I can do that stuff, I just, man, there's so much more power available to me. And I don't, I know not everybody's like that, but I sense that you're probably like that. I, I, I mean, well, first of all, don't pretend that the comedy world doesn't have its fair share of uptight douchebags in it. <laughs> So, so the corporate world does not have a monopoly on, 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 uh, backstabbers. Uh, and, but I do find looking back, I think playing loose would have been, and I say play loose, I mean, playing relaxed, not playing ethically loose, but like, yeah. you know, uh, playing loose with the spirit of playfulness is, is key. And when I get, when I get 
uptight, when I get scared, when I find myself feeling sorry for myself about not making progress as fast as I'd like to, I have to remind myself like, hey, if this isn't fun, you shouldn't be doing it. Mm. You're doing this because it's a joy and and you get to make people laugh. And if you're not making them, if, if you don't feel good about yourself, if you're not having fun, they're not going to have fun. So relax. This is comedy. Have a good time. And when I remind myself to do that, the I, I get the best results. Uh, I'm glad to hear that because I've I followed comedy, you know, for years and years. And it was always such a drag to hear that some of the people that made me laugh were really, really unhappy people and, and were pretty miserable in their lives. And and it was like, God, man, they, they made me laugh so much, but they couldn't find that joy for themselves. And that's a sad, it's, it's, you know, I know there's a lot of darkness and in, in underneath a lot of the laughs, but, um, yeah, I, I love that you're able to, to clue into that. There's some great, there, don't get me wrong. There's great people too, men and women out yeah. there that are a lot. Of, and it's, and most of the time it's a lot of fun to hang out in the green room with a handful of other comics that come from all different walks of life. And you're sitting there, you know, at 1130 on a Friday night, eating tater tots with people from completely different backgrounds of cleat of completely different ages. But the, the thing you have in common is that you all have this, this shared, uh, this shared sickness that is the desire to, you know, like the <laughs> compulsion to make other people laugh. And, and it's, it, it could be pretty damn funny back there. Oh, that's cool. I'd, I'd love to be able to eavesdrop on, on some of that. Um, so tell us about, you got a new EP. Is that right? Tell us about that. I do. Yeah. I, I recorded a, um, uh, a set in New York City in December, um, and I put it out on iTunes uh, last week. It's on Spotify and a few other music outlets as well, and it's called "Alive on the Upper West Side." Alive, as in like breathing, kiss walking. alive, kiss alive, one and two, kiss right? alive. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of you can tell I was I grew up in the seventies. I I should have I should have waited until I had enough material for a double album, you know. Like you should do post, that, and then like it's the just the, the, the four out. pictures of you in the paint, like it's just like you know, okay. And right. then uh, and then you've got your 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 podcast, Crazy Money. What do you got? What are you discussing on there? What are the topics you guys are other than insanity and money? I assume. Uh, well, no, well, insanity is is it's uh, <laughs> it's it, I, insanity comes in because it's sort of like well, in in what ways do we make ourselves crazy about money? And I think that's um, we can discuss in, in many different manifestations. The idea is that I believe we'll all make better decisions about money if we're aware of what we want from it, kind of what we were talking about before. And the first step in finding out what we want from money is to talk about it with ourselves, with our loved ones, uh, with the people around us completely in a respectful way, uh, you know, in the way that, um, is going to help us know ourselves better and our desires better and help us really, invest in the things that actually bring happiness and not just, um, status or whatever. So I've had some amazing guests. Um, I've had, uh, you know, Dr. Drew was an early guest, uh, uh, Ron Lieber from the New York times who wrote a book called the opposite of spoiled, who is, it's all about how to raise, uh, teach kids value through the lens of money. Um, I had my 92 year old father on as I pretty sure I mentioned earlier. I, uh, one of my upcoming episodes is with a friend of mine who, who was smuggled out of Vietnam when she was four years old in a fishing net and spent two years in a refugee camp wow. and now lives, now lives in an 8,000 square foot house on the top of a hill in San Diego. And it's like, well, what was that journey all about? And I mean, I, I don't think we think about these things on a day-to-day -day basis. We're like, Hey, that person you see, you know, walking down the street or in the, you know, in the gym or the, at the yogurt shop is like, what's her story? What's her journey been all about? What can I learn from that? 
that might make me more aware of of how you know how how fortunate I've been in my own life, uh, or might make me want to work harder, or just be more grateful for the stuff that I have. Great. Okay, Paul Allinger. You can look him up uh, wherever you get your your comedy online, Spotify. Where else did you say? In Apple? Is that right? Uh, iTunes as well. Yeah. iTunes, and then uh, the Crazy Money Podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Paul, thanks so much, man. I feel uh, like we're kindred spirits here. I love what you're doing and, and, uh, look forward to seeing you doing more. I appreciate it, Trip. Great to talk to you. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit the new man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.